0: And now here's your host, Sean Rost.
1: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, or whatever hour you're tuning in to listen to the Our Missouri podcast. My name is Sean Rost, and I will be your guides who explore the memories, moments, and misfortunes from Our Missouri. Welcome to season two of the podcast. We are delighted to have you with us and we look forward to continuing to provide quality content about our Missouri. Today's episode serves as not only the opening of season two, but also the start of a multi-part series on the Ozarks. Sure, you think you know the Ozarks home of Branson, the Bald Knobbers, and the Beverly Hillbillies, right? Well, in this series, we'll talk about the Ozarks, a region covering roughly half of Missouri as a cultural identity as well as a physical place. So, come along for a trip to the Ozarks. Our guest is Brooks Blevins. He holds a PhD in history from Auburn University and presently serves as the Noel Boyd Professor of Ozark Studies at Missouri State University. His book, A History of the Ozarks, Volume 1, The Old Ozarks, was published by the University of Illinois Press in 2018. History of the Ozarks Volume 2, The Conflicted Ozarks, will be released in fall 2019. Welcome to the Arm Missouri podcast, Brooks.
0: Thanks, Sean. Good to be here.
1: Now, when we look at your project and its kind of overall perspective on the early Ozarks and the origins of the Ozarks, um, how did you come about to write this book?
0: Well, I've, uh, I've spent most of my career... Researching and writing about the Ozarks, and after I uh, took a position as the professor of Ozark Studies here at Missouri State in springfield i I realized that, uh, that teaching various different courses on the Ozarks, I realized that we just uh, really needed a uh, you know a basic history uh, of of the Ozarks uh, that we didn't have a comprehensive history, and so I sat down. Uh, nearly four years ago thinking that I was going to write a one-volume comprehensive history of the Ozarks, and by the time I got the story to the Civil War, I already had a book-length manuscript, and I realized uh, this wasn't going exactly the way I'd planned, and uh, so that's why I ended up with a trilogy on the history of the Ozarks, and uh, we're talking about volume one of it.
1: Now, in thinking of this trilogy and all the materials necessary to tell that story, Uh, what archives did you visit, and what really materials were you looking at to help develop this overall story?
0: Really, I hit uh, just just about uh, every archive I could hit within the Ozarks region, and we're we're talking about the State Historical Society, Missouri, uh, the Missouri State Archives, uh, the Missouri State Museum uh, here, the special collections here at Missouri State, the University of Arkansas, Arkansas State Archives, uh, all of that uh, kind of stuff. And then I also uh, found quite a few materials in, in other archives uh, east of the Mississippi and uh, went to the University of North Carolina and Duke and and uh, some other places, uh, uh, the Tennessee State Archives uh and really what i tried to do was especially for this for this first volume the pre-civil war volume was uh, just look at every piece of kind of traditional archival material that a historian would use that had anything to do with the uh with the ozark region and uh these are you know letters uh diaries government records uh census records just you know just about anything that I could uh, lay my hands on uh, church records all, all kinds of stuff uh, and just sort of immerse myself in the traditional sources of the historian and uh and and just kind of see what where the story led me and uh that was kind of uh it was just sort of that really cast a wide net approach and and uh, do a, a ground up history. And of course, it gets gets more difficult to do that the closer you get uh, and the farther you get into the 20th century. There's just too much material out there to do that. But, uh, uh, but that's what I was looking at. And then, of course, uh, grounding that in the secondary literature that's out there on the Ozarks and on Appalachia and Uh, very, you know, the uh, Western settlement in the United States and various things that where the Ozarks intersect with, you know, broader American history. But it was just, you know, uh, just try to read everything I could possibly read. Okay.
1: Now, for people who kind of grow up in Missouri, there is certain portions of the state that they often associate with the Ozarks. We can think of southwest Missouri, portions of southern Missouri, and even like the lake of the Ozarks. But where does this word Ozarks originate
0: from? Yeah, the word Ozarks doesn't originate from any of those places, or any place that even in the least resembles any of those places. It's a it's a weird sort of hodgepodge of uh, that brings in various different cultures in this in this meeting place in the Mississippi Valley. What happens is uh, we we know the the French are the first Europeans to to explore and and settle the the Mississippi Valley and on their way down the Mississippi, they encounter the Illini and, uh, the, they borrow the Illini name for one of the, uh, groups of native Americans that they will encounter farther down the Mississippi river. Uh, the group that we now call the Quapaw, uh, the Illini called something that the French, uh, heard as uh, the Arkansas. And so that's where uh, Arkansas comes from. And uh, the French uh, set up their first post on the Mississippi River in uh, present-day Arkansas. It's what we call Arkansas Post. And by the early 1700s, they were, uh, they had officers there and they were sending letters back to Canada and France. And and uh the the best uh the best theory that we have, uh the best explanation that we have for where that Ozarks comes from uh is something that uh the colonial historian Buzz Arnold, uh Morris Arnold, uh, who's done a lot of colonial Arkansas stuff, uh that he developed uh, several years ago, and it's this idea that the French writing from Arkansas Post would uh, would write would sign off their letters O's A U uh, X Arkansas and after a while or you know fr- from the land of the Arkansas uh, in the land of the Arkansas uh, Indians basically and after a while they began abbreviating uh, that that sign off into Ozark uh, or Ozarks and that called on and that that phrase that that sort of new phrase. Uh, uh, that the French had had adopted from the Illini, their name for the Quapaw, became shorthand for the territory, that area west of the Mississippi River. Eventually it becomes the term that's used to apply to this big swath of land west of the Mississippi River, uh, much of the upland. It's only later uh, in the, really it's uh, later in the uh, early 1800s when the U.S. Army cartographers come through and make uh, one of the earliest maps of the broader Mississippi Valley that they uh, now use the anglicized spelling of this, O-Z-A-R-K, and they put Ozark Mountains on this map that comes out in the 1820s, and their Ozark Mountains stretch all the way from basically the Red River that separates Oklahoma from Texas all the way to St. Louis, and in the late, 19th century geographers start to delineate uh, between the Ozark Plateau north of the Arkansas River and the Ouachita Mountains south of the Arkansas River. And really for the last 120 or so years, or uh, maybe even a little more than that, we've we've separated the two. And so now we have the smaller Ozark region uh, that, that, you know, very, very broadly speaking, uh, the Ozarks uh, between the Arkansas River on the south, the Missouri River on the north, the Missouri River, uh the the Mississippi River on the east. And then it just uh you could say the Neosho or Grand River or you know, various things on the west, but uh the Ozarks on the west just kinda bleeds into the into the Great Plains more or less, and it's kinda there's no real stark uh, demarcation for where the Ozarks ends and where it doesn't. But, uh, but roughly speaking, those are the, the boundaries of this place that comes to be called the Ozarks.
1: I'm kind of interested in the element of, of the physical boundaries of the Ozarks. As someone who grew up on the south side of the Missouri River, I never really considered myself to be in the Ozarks, and yet that is technically in that boundary. Um, so I guess this is more of a cultural question, but like, how do people define the Ozark region? Is this this physical location or is there a cultural element as well?
0: Well, that's a good question. And it really just depends on why you're defining uh, the region, what your purpose is. Uh, we uh, geographers tend to make maps and we depend on geographers for making maps. Uh, but uh, in this case, I uh, we generally rely on basically geological maps uh maps of the of the physical ozarks what it is that separates the this physical region from uh slightly or very different physical regions that that surround it and so so yeah when i'm talking about the uh, earlier when i'm talking about the boundaries of the ozarks these are the geological the geographical boundaries the physical boundaries of the ozarks and i wouldn't tell you that you're uh, that you're wrong. Uh, I wouldn't insist that you grew up in the Ozarks just because you grew up on the south side of the Missouri River. Uh, what uh, the, the fact is we have different cultural boundaries and the way that we define the Ozarks uh, culturally, uh, a lot of times it just depends on where people consider themselves to be in the Ozarks. And you obviously grew up in the physical Ozarks, but didn't consider yourself to be in the Ozarks, uh, to be in the cultural Ozarks, uh, so that means the boundaries don't exactly match up, and for the most part, for the most part they do, for the most part, if you're in what the geographers say in the Oza- is the Ozarks, you're in areas that people would consider the Ozarks, your, your exceptions to that uh, are really what you're talking about, they tend to be the old uh, German fringe Settlements of the Missouri Valley and the Mississippi Valley, and those are the places where people are less likely to culturally, historically identify with the Ozarks. Uh, speaking to to your point, a few years ago, I was in uh, Frona, Missouri, in Perry County, again, a an old German settlement there, and you know, rolling hills, beautiful country, a few miles from the Mississippi, but but you're obviously in the, in the upland, you're obviously in the physical Ozarks when you're there. And I was standing there with a, with a woman. And, and, uh, and I asked the question that I often ask when I'm out traveling around, especially the, these marginal areas of the Ozarks, I said, uh, do you consider this the Ozarks? And she said, no. And it was, and she seemed quite shocked that I would even ask that, you know, that that would even be a question. And I said, well, if, if I told you uh, to go to the Ozarks where would you go and she said Branson. So that's that kind of it kind of gives you an idea that people have this uh a lot of times uh people have this kind of stereotype of the Ozarks in mind this uh this you know cultural concept in mind and if they don't feel that they fit into that uh then then they don't and of course you know in in Missouri history uh German history is is so important to what we do, and we know that uh, those pre-civil War German settlements were just in in many ways were just kind of islands to themselves and they they uh, they didn't often associate and and often i think disassociated with the the English speakers in their midst who often didn't didn't share they certainly didn't share a language they didn't share a cultural heritage. They were often from different classes, uh, different education levels. And and so I think a lot of that, a lot of the that secession of the fringes of the Ozarks uh, out of the cultural Ozarks just stems from that old German settlement and the fact that they had their own identity, their own way of defining who they were and where they were, and that didn't include... You know, these upland Southerners uh, from the hills of Tennessee and Kentucky and, and places like that who, who lived uh, very different lives.
1: Yeah, that comment on Branson is interesting. Thinking about my own life, yeah, if someone would ask me where the Ozarks are, I would have probably said the I-44 corridor kind of going on down. So I think that is kind of interesting, both culturally as well as this kind of physical element of people seeing this larger physical Ozarks, but then also this kind of cultural interpretation of where the Ozarks fall. In looking at the Ozarks kind of historically uh, in Missouri history, we think of it being considered the quote-unquote last settled region of the state. We think of the development of the Mississippi River and the Missouri River and up in kind of what is Little Dixie and St. Louis and Kansas City uh, as the two corner points there. Uh, But the phrase settled is kind of problematic as it tends to assume that this is kind of Americanized settlement. This is the settlement of the early 19th century. Who was living in the Ozarks in these years before Missouri statehood? And how did they view the eventual settlement by Europeans as well as later can think of Anglo-American settlers?
0: Right. Well, you uh, you have a in the early part of the ozarks and we're talking about the the 18th century and the uh the very early 19th century you got a pretty diverse cast of of people for for one thing beginning in the spanish era in the in the especially in the 1780s and and 1790s you have uh this movement of of what in the book i call immigrant indians uh these are you know you're displaced Native Americans from east of the Mississippi who start to uh, flow into uh, the region. They, they start to flow into southeastern Missouri and eventually uh, even make their way all, all the way over into southwestern Missouri, and to northern Arkansas, across the Ozarks, uh, beginning with groups like the Shawnees and the Delawares and uh, you know encroaching on what, the Oza- on what the Osage would consider their territory, their hunting ground. And eventually the Cherokees claim a piece of the Ozarks, the Kickapoos, and, and all these different groups. And so you have, uh, in the late 1700s, all the way into really up until about 1830 or so, you have this buildup of these, of these immigrant Indians who are, who are settling the old Osage hunting ground. For the most part, the Osage... Though they claim the Ozarks as their own, they, they really didn't live in the Ozarks. Uh, a few of them lived on the very fringes, kind of northwestern fringes of the Ozarks, but for the most part, they didn't live in the in the physical Ozarks. So you have so you have all of these uh, these immigrant uh, settlers who are coming in, and by the 1820s, there are so many of them that in especially in southwest Missouri and northwest Arkansas. In north-central Arkansas, you've got probably well over 10,000 uh, in uh, these immigrant Indians, and there's this there's this pan-Indian movement that develops, led by uh, a Shawnee by the name of Quatawapia, and it becomes so strong in the 1820s, there, there are probably about a dozen different uh, tribes, uh, different, a dozen different nations who were involved in this movement that's kind of... Centered on the White River Valley and in uh, North Central Northwest Arkansas, uh, and that uh, that the Cherokees and the Shawnees and the Delawares, all these groups agree that what their goal is to have is is to have an autonomous nation of their own, where uh, the U.S. government will leave them alone and and let them do what they want to do, and so they they decide that this is where they they want to build this autonomous. Uh, land, this autonomous go- autonomous government. And so Quatawapia visits uh, William Clark in St. Louis, kind of gets his blessing more or less. He goes on to Washington, D.C. He visits with President-elect John Quincy Adams, visits with Vice President-elect John C. Calhoun, pitches them this idea of basically an Ozark autonomous Indian uh, nation for these various uh, groups who found themselves kind of thrown together uh, out on the on what we would consider the frontier of the United States uh, in those days, and 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 it of course it 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 ultimately falls through not just because the officials in Washington D.C. reject it, but because uh, most of the natives the shawnees the cherokees others who are still living east of the mississippi and and a lot of this is contingent upon them accepting this as well and agreeing to move to this place and they they reject watawapia's vision they still think they can hold out in the east and not move and of course that that's not going to work and so it falls through but it does uh it, it it does basically lead just a few years later to the creation of the Indian Territory, Oklahoma and uh and it leads just a few years to really the uh the emptying out of the Ozarks of all these immigrant Indian groups by uh, certainly by the early 1830s through treaties and and other uh removals they're they're pretty much gone and uh, and by that point you know the what had been land that was given or loaned to them by the US government is opened up to, to white settlement. So so certainly that's going on in all those years when Missouri's going through territorial stage and early statehood and all that kind of stuff. Uh and it's uh it's something that, you know, certainly uh we don't often think about happening in the Ozarks, uh, but it it's part of that process uh, before white settlers completely take over the region, and then if you look at the uh the southeastern Missouri Ozarks, they play that that part of the region plays a little more uh maybe typical Missouri type role where you have uh, white u s settlers and their slaves who are coming in even as early as the seventeen nineties and peopling the kind of eastern southeastern part of the, uh, the Ozarks uh in by the early eighteen hundreds and you've got Moses Austin and Potosi and uh, various pretty substantial settlements that today, you know, would be even part of the cultural Ozarks, uh, but we often, you know, just kind of uh bring those into the greater Missouri story because they they, they match the uh the timeline and the chronology of, of what's happening in, in Missouri a little bit more than, uh, than these other stories that come out of the Ozarks.
1: Before we return to our conversation, here's Danielle Griego to talk about the My Missouri 2021 Photograph Project. The Missouri Bicentennial provides an occasion for reflecting upon and increasing understanding of various aspects of the state's cultural and geographic landscape. Missouri 2021 invites professional and amateur photographers to capture and share unique and meaningful aspects of place in Missouri. Through the My Missouri 2021 Photograph Project, 200 photographs will be selected to be part of the Permanent Missouri Bicentennial Collection at the State Historical Society of Missouri. Together, these images will create a snapshot of the state's physical and cultural landscape during its bicentennial that will be available to researchers, teachers, and students, and the public for generations to come. To learn more about the My Missouri 2021 Photograph Project, please visit missouri2021.org my-missouri. Now we can think of really the Ozark region being not only home to, as you mentioned, many Native American groups, but really a borderlands for the Spanish and the French uh, as we get closer into the early 19th century, the Louisiana Purchase and everything like that. Um, How does settlement occur once Missouri gains statehood? How does this settlement occur in the interior and southern Ozarks for, you could think of, foreign-born immigrants as well as those people who are already living in the United States moving farther and farther west in the years leading up to the Civil War?
0: Right. Well, the uh, settlement quickly becomes dominated by a certain kind of a settler uh in the Ozarks mainly settlers coming from the greater Appalachian area back east now you do have uh you do have a, a few french uh, creoles who kind of trickle into the back country uh there are lead mining communities that that spring up in the late 1700s old mines and uh mine and some places like that and there's even uh you know the french village of saint michael which is now part of Fredericktown, that that pops up in the late 1700s uh but the uh the french really don't come uh any farther into the interior ozarks than that and and it's really a small number so so that your typical upland southern you know tennessee kentucky North Carolina, Virginia, a settler dominates the interior of the Ozarks. And, uh, and it's, it's sort of typical North American settlement patterns. They, they tend to, uh, to uh, water was exceedingly important to those settlers and they tend to settle the larger streams first and then work their way up uh, the smaller streams. Uh, they uh for the most part uh come overland uh the the most popular crossing was uh just above uh, of the mississippi was just above cape Girardeau and and then into uh what would become jackson and and uh there's a there's just this really heavily traveled road that goes up uh through Fredericktown and 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 farmington and on in, into the uh interior and uh, to what would eventually be Rolla, and then on down into southwest missouri from from that direction uh so you get uh you get uh, a lot of people who who follow this uh this path uh the you know the springfield road that uh, that southwest missouri becomes kind of the ultimate destination you get a lot of people who come by uh by water and even in southwest missouri some of the earliest settlers actually made their way up the White River in Arkansas, Uh, and of course White White River spent some time in Southwest Missouri as well. And uh, again, some of the earliest U.S. settlers who came to the Ozarks settled on uh, the White River and just gradually sort of leapfrogged their way up, up the river uh, from kind of Southeast to the Northwest. And so you get these uh, very uh, typical settlement patterns where where you have uh, good water resources. And it's only, it's really only around mid-century when the high country, the sort of waterless high country starts to fill in when you got places uh, in the, uh, the sub-region of the Ozarks that we call the, the Central or Salem Plateau, uh, which makes up basically half of the entire region. So we're talking about much of South Central Missouri and and North Central Arkansas, Uh, these places that, uh, that are not terribly fertile. They don't, they don't necessarily have the, the water resources that, that other places have. Some of these places don't really start filling in until the 1850s or even after the civil war, uh, just because they are seen as uh, not necessarily livable and, and sorta of remote and and uh and that kind of thing. And then uh as I as I mentioned earlier, that really your only in the antebellum era, your only significant foreign immigration into the Ozarks occurs along the physical fringes of the region, and that's your uh German immigration that takes place from the eighteen thirties up until the so the Civil War, and we're talking about the Missouri Valley, uh, Osage and Gasconade and Franklin County. Some of those places, again, where most of the people wouldn't consider themselves Ozarkers today, but on the on the fringes in uh, Saint Genevieve and Perry County and Cape County, and some of those places where you have Germans uh, who come directly from Europe uh, to uh, to the Ozarks, to the at least to the the physical Ozarks, the edges of the Ozarks, very few of them make their way into the interior. There are obviously examples of people who do that, but uh, but the vast majority of them remain on the kind of fringes of the Ozarks.
1: Now, you had mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that really you had worked a lot of material into what you hope to be a large volume on the Ozarks, and yet you got to the Civil War and realized that it needed to be much, much more. So with this being Volume 1, focusing on the early Ozarks up until the Civil War, what would the remaining parts of this series focus in on, and what would their timelines be?
0: Uh, Volume 2, which is finished and uh, uh, is slated for a uh, September 2019 uh, release, is the the long civil war era and by that i mean uh the basically the 1850s into the 1880s and it includes a a chapter on slavery in the ozarks and the secession crisis and then uh, roughly half of the book is uh focuses on the civil war itself uh both the military part of the conflict and, and there, there are some significant battles with pretty large armies that take place in the Ozarks, uh, and almost exclusively within the first uh, 20 months or so of the conflict. And then uh, on the and then the rest of the, the part on the Civil War focuses on the home front, uh, which becomes really the story for the last couple of years of the war. Just the the brutal no man's land, nature of the of the Civil War, this place where uh, you had a very very divided populace, both in Southern Missouri and Northern Arkansas, very divided loyalties, and it was just a, it was just an unsafe place that ultimately many people just decided to leave uh, for their own preservation, and then uh, and then the the rest of the book focuses on the uh the reconstruction of the ozarks both the the kind of classic you know political reconstruction of the region uh the uh the struggles between re- the brand new republican party which emerges triumphant in some places in the ozarks and almost non-existent in other places in the ozarks uh and uh the old democratic party which had ruled the roost uh pretty much all of the antebellum era, and then I even uh, look at uh, economic and cultural um, uh, reconstruction as well. And uh, and I in I end that volume with a look at the Bald Knobbers of Southwest Missouri, the the, the vigilante group that really, as uh, as historian Lynn Morrow points out, I I think they're probably the last gasp of the Civil War, not only in the Ozarks, but in Missouri and maybe uh, anywhere west of the Mississippi, uh, even though what they're doing is is happening 20 years or more after the official end of the conflict. And then Volume 3, which I'm still working on, uh, just carries the story into the 21st century. And Volume 3 is the one that really most uh consciously focuses on uh what you would call the cultural ozarks so uh so your your old German fringes uh along the the northern and uh northeastern part of the region won't get hardly as much airplay with with volume three as i as I concentrate more on the kind of social construct of the ozarks uh the the Ozarks that people in the twenty first century tend to think about when they when they think about the Ozarks. So that, that includes just about everything under the sun uh, that's happened in the last you know, 140 years or so.
1: That all well, sounds very fascinating. We look forward to those upcoming volumes. Uh, we said it's upcoming in September 2019 for volume two, and then at some point for volume three. Um, thank you very much for joining us today and being on the podcast.
0: Sure, it's been a pleasure.
1: Thanks for listening to this week's episode. As always, I'm your host, Sean Rost. The show's producer is Brian Austin. The opening and concluding credits are narrated by Kevin Walsh. If you're interested in more of the people, places, culture, and history around our missouri please check out the State Historical Society of Missouri's website at shsmo.org.
0: Thank you for listening to the R-Missouri podcast. If you would like to learn more about the podcast, including past and future episodes, information about guests, and upcoming events, please visit our website, at shsmo.org forward slash our dash
1: Missouri